Okay. Try talking for a second. Hello. Mod is not sexy enough. (laughs) Okay, try saying something that's not bullshit. Uh, Neither was Harold? Fair enough. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) We will objectify men all day long, but I won't stand for this objectification of women bullshit. It'll come back around to him. I'm just just not comfortable with it for some reason. Men, no problem. Women, it just feels creepy. I think, I think that's the world. I think we can objectify men all we want at this point. I think it's yeah. it's, it's fair game. The you know it's it's been I don't know centuries of objectifying women, so I think it's it's cool to do it to men now. But we deserve it, sure. And by and by we, and by we I mean guys that go to the gym, not me at all, actually. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll take it too, though. Fix <laughs> your eyes on this. <laughs> On this episode, we talk about romantic relationships with a big age difference. I know you may think that I'm talking about the passionate love affair between myself and my much older co-host, Chris Maynard. We are thankfully instead going to talk about Hal Ashby's Harold Maude. To do that, we are very happy to have a mediator on today's show. Anderson Cowan joins us from the awesome and well-respected movie podcast, The Film Vault, and the comedy podcast, The After Disaster. Hello. Hey, Anderson. How you doing, man? Good. Is this Michael? Uh, th- this is Chris talking right now. Michael's on here also, though. Hey, appreciate it. This is uh, Michael talking. Th- What's thank up, guys? You, dude, thank you so much for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it'll be fun. I, lo- I love talking movies. Anytime anyone asks, we want to talk some movies, I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Nice. So then uh, with, I guess we can just kind of jump right into it, not to waste any of your time. We'll do the kind of introduction stuff um, later for it. Um, with okay, real real quick, how's this? Yeah. Let me let me uh, do some tests because I'm kind of a, uh, a, a quality guy as far as sound okay. goes. I don't want to sound too echoey. Right now, I'm on headset. I can do the uh, old fashioned cancer. Where, like I hold it up to my head like this. If that sounds any better, that's that's clear. Uh, yeah, the second option. Uh, okay. All right, cool. And then I should also warn you guys that uh, I forgot today's Martin Luther King Day, so the wife <laughs> is off. She's in the back room watching bad TV. And then I also have a plumber in my backyard and my three dogs locked inside. So occasionally you might hear the dogs freaking out. That's cool. That's uh, it, it, there's just never a good time, man. Even, and right now I got a cat uh, jumping up on my lap thinking it's a good time to be pets. So I'm all, I'm a little bit over, all over the map, uh, but hopefully this, this uh, you guys can hear well enough and I can hear you. So thanks for having me. Cool. Thanks no, for doing th- it, man. Thank you so much for coming on. And uh, we both have dogs and I have a four-year-old son that is – jumped in the middle of this, I think, more times than some people that are regular guests on the show. So it's fine. All right, cool. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, I've listened to a couple episodes uh, of you guys. Uh, so I kind of get, get the flow. And you still decided to come on. Thank you very much. We appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. You're a kind man. Despite, very kind. Despite some egregious uh, uh, errors as far as taste goes, yeah. No, you guys, you guys are on par a lot of the time. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's get right into that. What, what did we uh, what did we completely miss on? Because uh, I, I have one with you also that you led me down the path. Oh, cool. Of. So let's did... get into that. I, I always okay. love when I'm like responsible for wasting someone's two well, hours you... by recommending a movie that 
you didn't waste my time. It was because it all came together in the end, but it was uh, Dead Man's Shoes. Um, and, I, and I think that it was because it all came together in the ending, and the ending made the rest of it work, but you have to get through some pretty bad stuff to get to that ending. Like, what, what would you say the bad stuff was? Um, I, it's, it was honestly, it was the, uh, the performance of the, uh, of the Toby Cabell. I love that. And I thought he was great, man. I thought he was, I thought he was great, but that was the first time I had ever seen Toby Kebbell. So if, if I had already seen Toby in other things like rock and roller or, uh, clash of the Titans or, you know, these other movies that he's been in, I might've been distracted, but to me, he was just that guy. So I was able to accept it. I, I think that might have something to do with it, but it, when you find the ending, though, the sort of problems I had with his performance made sense, though. Um, there was, it right. wasn't, it felt like it wasn't, e- like, balanced throughout, but that was because of the ending. It made sense, and I guess it was kind of distracting until that point, and I appreciated it. And then uh, there was the graffiti on the wall, uh, that kind of thing, that I never would have gone out and looked up what that word meant. So to go that deep into it, they obviously had something on their mind when they were making the film. It was just that it took a while to get to that ending. That's all. Well, that leads me right into uh, same thing with Magnolia and goddamn Paul Thomas Anderson, who is my favorite living, breathing director. But Magnolia was just riddled and rife with things that like, he expected you to go look up afterwards, which I'm like, fuck you. Give it to me in the movie. Don't make me go back and revisit. And now with uh, – I'm sorry. Can I cuss on this? Is that all right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I swear. I, I, Four-year-old I, kid's I, not going to hear it. On our big uh, Hero 6 episode, I made a fisting joke. So please, you're mm-hmm. fine. Okay, cool. I just don't want any four-year-old kids to wander in and uh, be taken back. <laughs> but with an inherent vice, like, he is expecting you to not only read the goddamn book, which I, I picked up from listening to you guys talk about it. Yes, you're going to appreciate it a whole lot more if you read and appreciate the book. Uh, but also, you got to go back and watch it a second, third, and fourth time, as was suggested yeah. on Mark Maron's podcast. I don't have time in my life <laughs> to do that, Paul Thomas Anderson, you know, unless I love it or at least appreciate it from the get-go. Like, I've seen There Will Be Blood probably ten times because – I, lo- I liked it enough the first time, but also as a guy with ADHD and uh, if that's a thing and, and OCD and uh, the inability to read, uh, it's tough, man. It's, it's yeah. really tough. I can't read. So I guess that movie's just not for me. Well, that, that was the thing. And that was my, my immediate caveat with that film was that I don't know that it would work for people that hadn't read the book. I just, I wasn't sure. Cause it was like going into it. I had already seen the film three or four times by, reading the book ahead of time that same week. So I was in that space. So I, a a novella, a quick read. Oh, it's, well, it's not that it's a quick read. It's, um, the work is so dense that you honestly have to stop and put, put it away for a minute, take in what you've read and then come back to it. It's not that it's hard to get into. It's not, he's not throwing down, you know, the 50 cent words, every other word where you're having to like, you know, look up what the hell he's saying. Right. It's just, it's fitting so much into each sentence that he just makes each paragraph feel like it's a film or a story unto itself. And I really appreciate that style of writing, but it's not exactly the most approachable style. It's not really a breezy read. You just don't kind of casually, you have to be actively engaged with it the whole time. But my question to that is if, uh, let's say that it's not Paul Thomas Anderson, some no name makes this movie. Do people give it a second look? Do they even give it any merit or they walk out halfway through and say, what the fuck was that thing? It's same with Pynchon. I, I mean, do they actually yeah. read that and think, wow, this is really great, or is it because Pynchon's name is on it? You know what I mean? No, you're, it's, and those are, both of those are very valid points, but it's because of that. I can't divorce myself from my love of PTA, and I felt like I might need to do homework going into this one from uh, just the early kind of word I was getting on this movie, and I'm glad I did because I really – it was Good. honestly 
I enjoyed the film. I, I loved it. But I, as a film, they, it should work on its own, and I'm not sure that it does. But that's okay, right. I, I guess. So it's for a very small group of people or people that will discover this in high school when they have a shit ton of time to kill and they can rewatch this thing a hundred times. So I did the same thing with Matt, the master too. I went back and tried to appreciate that more and parts of it are like the greatest thing you've ever seen. But then parts of it are just like, all right, I get it. I know. <laughs> like, uh, like Marilyn was saying, I just wanted them to bang and, and the movie to be over. They're happy in love. Great. You know? So that's, that's, that. I fall victim to that all the time like you know it's like like with the inherent vice i was i was there first showing at the one theater that I was yeah. playing at in la and i was there like oh boy oh boy and and you know it, 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 i get myself so pumped up about something that i'll walk out and i'll be like that was the worst movie i saw all year you know so <laughs> oh my that's my own fault okay <laughs> first time was when i was at boarding school in the chemistry lab i was in there cleaning it up so uh I decided I'd do a little experiment, yeah. So I threw all this stuff out and began mixing it up. It's very scientific. <laughs> uh, there was this massive explosion. It knocked me down, blew out a huge hole in the floor. There was uh, boards and bricks and flames leaping up. I figured, you know, time to leave. My career in school was over. So, uh, I went home. My mother was giving a party, so I just went right up the back stairs into my room. Turned out the light, and, uh, I got this funny feeling. The doorbell rang. I went out to the banister, and, uh, these two policemen came in. Found my mother. And, uh, told her that I was killed in the fire. She put one hand up to her forehead, the other she reached out as if groping for support, and with this long sigh, she collapsed in their arms. Decided then that I enjoyed being dead. I understand a lot of people enjoy being dead, but they're not dead really. They're just backing away from life. With uncomfortable scenes, especially like in in movies, because you don't really get to revisit the same uncomfortable thing in life over and over again. But if you did, like you can in movies, if you could revisit those i bet they become humorous then uh moving into harold and Maud, um what's your is this the first i know this is the first time mike's seen this film um is this a film that you have a personal history with anderson is this something you've seen before my mom actually turned me on to harold and Maud, as creepy as that sounds uh years no. ago <laughs> so i was a little kid i wasn't as young as when i saw clockwork orange but i saw it way back in the day because uh, i was actually obsessed with this movie that uh, is called die laughing with uh, Robbie Benson. I don't know if you've ever heard of Die Laughing. Yeah, it's it's one of these ones. Uh, my brother and I taped it. We thought it was funny. It's about Robbie Benson, and he finds a monkey 
that uh, it, it has a code to like nuclear weapons. It's classic 80s fodder, but uh, we were obsessed with this movie. I probably saw Die Laughing more than any other movie in my life, probably close to 100 times. You know when you're a little kid and you have time to kill and you think it's a good idea to watch something you've seen 99 <laughs> times? And, and Bud Court played the bad guy in that movie. So my mom's like, hey, Bud, that guy from Die Laughing, he's in this movie too. It's called, and, and I watched it and I was very disturbed, probably around 10 or 11. Um, <laughs> But then I fell in love with it a few years later, and that's how I discovered Cat Stevens. And uh, I've been obsessed with Cat Stevens ever since. Well, the old Cat Stevens, not the, the, the new one. Not, yeah, and uh, I've yeah. seen the movie probably 10, 12 times. I mean, I've, I've seen it over and over again, and I love it. I love it. And then sort of like, with, with you going into this your first time, what did you think about this film as for initial response to it? Well, I always stayed away from it because of the like the cover art and just you know, you've got the old woman, you've got Bud Court with that It is a terrible, terrible poster. It doesn't <laughs> yeah. doesn't do the movie justice at all. It it scares a lot of people away. It just uh, looks schlocky. The the, the criterion box is better. If you see that one, it it does more justice to what the film actually is. That really terrible still that they chose for that is, yeah, it does <laughs> deer in justice. the headlights look and just the, the you know, drab colors and clothing. And I don't know, just as a young man, it's like, I don't want to watch that. And then of course I was told that it's about, uh, like a 20 year old kid and an 80 year old getting together. And I'm like, I definitely don't want to fucking watch that. Um, and it's hard for me now seeing it. Um, because there was a lot I liked and then there was a lot I really disliked. Like it's, you know, Harold himself is not, He's not a likable dude. Like he's not a likable character. He's, oh, how dare you! <laughs> he's, yeah, well, okay. I'm, I'm going. Yeah. Okay. What's well, not to like about this kid? Okay. First, well, you know, we see him killing himself or uh, faking killing himself with these sort of one movie. of the greatest, one of the greatest cold opens in cinema history. I, I think it's one of the the greatest cold opens. I'm like the mother because I enjoyed it the first time, and then you, you know you get that response where you see her like not even paying attention to it and like getting on the phone. And you're like, well, this is really fucked up. And then you know he does it repeatedly, and I'm like, okay, I understand why she just ignores this shit because it happens like every other day. Um, it, I don't, I don't know. I didn't find you know, I didn't find him to be very charming. I found Maude to be extremely charming. Uh, so what was interesting was you know. My, in my youth, not wanting to get into the idea of the 60 year age gap between this kid and this woman, that part actually worked for me. But anytime it was him by himself, I, I really couldn't stand it. I don't know what the eight year old saw in him. That's what I, I didn't understand. I, just, I, I think she could have done better. She could have done a lot better. Because this is a point that's clear. Like, they're equally obsessed with uh, mortality in different ways. She can't find anybody that's okay and as comfortable with death. As this, you know, twenty-year-old kid is, um, I, I think there's a kindred thing there. And as far as with the mom, I mean, maybe the kid's acting out because mom isn't paying much attention to him. I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe the kid needs to be uh, parented instead of be like this image of this socialite. I don't know what what she thinks a kid should be. Um, so I, I have nothing but empathy for this kid and anybody. I would have loved to have had that kid as a friend in high school. As, as, that kid was oh, awesome. Break. As, as we saw in our Baba Duke review, you love weird little shits. Weird little shit kids. And he, he <laughs> is the absolute epitome of that. Um, I, I think that kid is, was awesome. That kid was so great in the Babadook. I love that, that kid. kid was great. How, do you, how do you climb up and get on top of that top bar at the park? That kid's the shit. <laughs> Thank you. That kid's awesome. 
Yeah. Anyone who takes a Jag, like a, a sports car, and turns it into a hearse, he's going to get brownie points with me. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to want to hang out with that guy as well, like Chris said. And, uh, and, and not to mention, it, right? I, I was making uh, really terrible movies in high school and early college. Um, if I had a kid like that that was that good at special effects, I'm the next Romero by hanging out with that kid. That's it. I mean, he can do death really well. Now, is uh, he is he spending his inheritance on these classes to learn this like special Fangoria <laughs> oh, yeah. effects on it on the weekends? And we didn't oh, see yeah. that part, but it, Dude, it was I impressive shit. I think he's flying in Tom Savini because you know, this is right probably when Dawn of the Dead is coming out and it hasn't really blown up yet, and it's just being produced by the Italians at that point. Uh, so Lucio Fulci is floating the bill on that. They're not getting paid a lot. So I think, yeah, I think that uh, Harold's float bringing in Tom Savini on the weekends for this because he knew what he was doing. And I think you bring up a really valid point about the kid, you know, acting out for attention from his parents. I mean, it's a really old cliche, but instead of drinking and smoking or, you know, like uh, telling his mom that he's gay or something to get her attention, he's got this very unique uh, obsession with death and, you know, putting in his, his artistic uh for us and to, to, to making himself uh you know seen but still ignored and it's i think that was also in, of the time like in the 70s you know the, the rich class and the man not really noticing the younger people and uh, it all comes together with a very unique vision and, and especially when you have an open where it looks like you're watching the main character realistically hang himself very very dramatically uh i thought it was great i loved it so you, you weren't on board from that open mic? Because, yeah, that that is – my wife has no interest in half of the nonsense that I'm watching for the show or just on my own general half? entertainment half? level. Yeah, You're she, pretty she, good. She's, if she's only half, that's pretty good. <laughs> and so with this, though, because of that opening, she sat down and watched the rest of this film with me. It was that strong that she was like, I have no interest in this whatever 70s Cat Stevens nonsense that you're watching right now. Um, you know, the, the, she had, she saw me watching coming home a couple months ago. And so she had an idea of what I might be getting into, but when she saw that open, she was fully in and really dug it. So, you know what, this actually gave me a, give me a minute here to, to look up uh, a documentary who, which name was eluding me, but it's called boy interrupted. Have you guys heard of this? Mm-mm. Boy Interrupted. That sounds really familiar. What is what is Boy Interrupted? It's a documentary. It came out two thousand nine, and it's all, all about a, like a real life uh, Harold, essentially uh, this kid who is okay. super dark and super obsessed with oh. like, suicide and death. Oh, yes, I saw this. Oh, yeah, no. And this Oof. is like the real life version of Harold, which is much more tragic and, and light, uh, less lighthearted than uh, you know Harold and Mars. Yeah, no, so. it doesn't. It does not go well. That is a brutal watch. Right. Yeah. So I'm glad, glad I had a minute to, to look that up. So uh, if, all, if all your listeners want to watch, it's, it's right up there with Dear Zachary as far as just uh, tough, tough to stomach. It's, uh, oh, dear, you know, yeah, that, that one. You guys saw Dear Zachary, yeah? What's that? You saw Dear Zachary? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, the, the Canadian family that's trying to get the rights to that are the yeah. custody of a crazy woman. Yeah, yeah and it oh, starts God, out as like a documentary by like the, the guy whose dad, his uh, really good friend, was trying to make a, a movie for his unborn kid. And uh, then it turns into this whole other thing. And it's just one of the most tragic movies you could ever imagine. And um, someone is making that into an actual like narrative, like a non-documentary, like a is that the Z for Zachary film that I see kind of like little rumblings of? Is that what that film is? Z for Zachariah or something? Yeah, Z for Zachariah, I believe, is different. That one's uh, playing at Sundance. I could be wrong. 
But I, I know that that one came up because I'm doing research for Sundance right now, and uh, I saw that on the list. And I, I read about it, like the little blurb. I don't remember. I thought the exact same thing because it's similar, but uh, nothing yeah. came up that made me think okay. that it was. I could be wrong. Yeah, that, that was just the title struck me in that way that it might be. Um, as far as with those kinds of things, the other one that's a really, I guess, if you're going through a list of terrible watches, if you're uh, a new parent I, the other one is uh, something's wrong with aunt diane yeah that's great i love that one. Oh shit what's wrong with you diane what the hell happened there that was a great one. Oh, i love that movie god that is so oh so goddamn good and so i mean do you what do you think happened there with that particular film just to go off on a side tangent here the, the, the story is that she was driving her kids and a bunch of other people's kids. She had like, you know, just like a clown car full of kids. And uh, she plows into like somebody on her way home from camping like early in the morning. And they did the toxicology and she was just, just, just loaded up with booze, like Lindsay Lohan levels. And her, her husband's like, oh, she never drank. I don't know what the deal is. That's very strange. She hated alcohol. Why is she so boozed up? And then you're just trying to figure out the entire time. Uh, the entire the rest of the movie is just retracing her exact steps. And it's just fascinating. I loved it. But uh, okay. no, I think that the husband, was just covering for, and she was a booze hound. Okay, well, have you seen that one, Mike? Uh, no, I have not seen it. Well, we just fucked it for you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, here this well, just sorry. this just in. Uh, Z for Zachariah is a post-apocalyptic world movie. Uh, young woman who believes she is the last human on Earth. Oh yeah, this one sounds good. Meets a dying scientist searching for survivors, and then uh, she meet, they meet some other dude, and there's like a love triangle, and it's with uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor. So <laughs> very different, very different. Did it say who the director of that one was? Oh, I just dropped the page, and I'm not going to find it. God damn it. Son of a bitch. Yeah, director Craig Zobel. Um, okay. Who, uh, I love his he work. Did, uh, what was the, he did the, the convenience movie. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, yeah, movie. The, the fast food, co- Coherence. Coherence. No, compliance, yeah. compliance. Compliance. Yeah, coherence geez. is a totally different movie. The compliance. Yes, but I was with you. I, that was the, that's the same one. Have you seen that one, Mike? Uh, compliance. Yeah, that was a totally comfortable, breezy watch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, always be extremely trusting of anyone that calls you on the phone. Uh, oh, that uh, fat bitch manager. She was the worst. <laughs> Go back and watch that one again, though, and I guarantee you, you're going you're gonna to laugh. It's going to be funny the second time around. <laughs> Are you kidding me? No, it is. It really is. I've seen it twice. <laughs> it's funny. Uh-huh. Yeah, but that's one that I felt like I didn't need to revisit afterwards. Um, but if, if it's funny on the second one, I'll give it a shot. Well, I know you don't have to do that. There's a lot of movies out there. But uh, when you when you when you hear the guy like getting up his nerves and like just figuring out like, testing the boundaries, it is kind of comical. You can hear it in his voice. <laughs> yeah, kind of fits with okay, so, two sort of icky, I guess, uh, movies we've got here as far as the age gap. Look at your segue. Yeah, that's that's a pro right there. Let's get us back onto. But yeah, I guess you know in general Harold Maud, they work for me as a couple. But I, I don't know, Chris. I, I see this. Uh, you're, you're older than me, but I, I tend to generally <laughs> have much more sympathy for the parents in these situations. As far as because I just know if I was the mother here and had to see all of his sort of pranks and in front of complete strangers, uh, he you know kills himself or cuts off a fake hand. I, you know, I wouldn't find it too amusing either. Um, and that's 
we're not given enough information to totally side with her because she doesn't seem to be interested in anything other than material. Possession. Anything he does. I mean, he's probably, you gotta, you gotta read into it. Michael, like he's been trying a little stunt since he's a little kid to get her attention yeah. and it's escalated into him actually, you know, committing Harry Carey in front of her to scare her away. I mean, she didn't give a fuck about his actual life. She was constantly trying to like, you know, arrange marriages for him. I mean, she was yeah. uh, devoid of feeling towards him and she just wanted him to be a, the, the, the proto typical heir to the family throne and you know do what the man wants you to do and and be a good american and all that shit and he wanted to you know do his own thing and she didn't see him as an individual she saw him as like a byproduct of herself and he had to do these crazy things so i think if you were in her situation you'd sit him down you say what's up well yeah you, you yeah, maybe the first time yeah. so fuck her <laughs> Well, yeah, I think when you when you're the first reaction that you would want to have as a parent, you you try to think that you would you would see something like this, and your first reaction would be like, okay, I'm doing something wrong here. Clearly, that my kid is acting out this way. And then beyond that, my kid is doing some really fucking clever, creative stuff, and there is some really smart work here that we need to harness and put into a positive direction instead of just trying to marry him off and not sort of buy into the potential of this kid. You need to look at what this kid is actually doing and seeing that he's doing some pretty remarkable stuff and that you don't see the potential in your own. Job. He's not, he's not learning to be a doctor or a lawyer though. So she couldn't care less, you know? Well, yeah, exactly. It's not something that you're going to be able to sit down with the friends at the country club and it'll be uh, impressive to them. But there, you know, as a parent, you would be, for me, I would be so much more proud if my kid was that weird little fuck, as you put it before, Mike, then I would rather, I, I guess as far as like showing off my kid, I would rather show off the Babadook kid or Harold than a little no. uh, oh, young God, no. Republican, personally. No. I'm with you. I'm with you, Chris. I'm <laughs> no. right there. Maybe that's... <laughs> See, and that mixed in with like the Kentucky accent, that's a scary place to be. Uh, 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 uh. Yeah, I just heard it. It just came all full, full force through the phone. <laughs> See, I, I, but back actually... to uh, Harold and... Oh, go ahead. I'm actually very liberal in my beliefs. It's just that I find with these type of stories, and it's you know it's it's the the time that it was produced. Uh, it's very much of its time, and you know as you said, it's sort of you know fuck the man that sort of mentality. But it's it's always a one way street. Whereas the the weird little shit kid, uh, he can sort of do all of his crazy hijinks, and the mother figure here is supposed to be totally into whatever weird stuff he's into not totally into it just pay attention to him as a person yeah exactly but but there's no there's no give and take either there's no from the scenes at least the ones were presented and that's you know it's unfair on both sides because we don't really know much further about the relationship oh, other no. than there's not really which much one of one um there's no interest from him really in her either. I mean, there's not, it's not like he tries to converse with her. This is not, no, uh, no, I, I totally disagree. All of his, all of these actions that he's doing, he's not doing it for himself. He's not videotaping himself. He didn't even have the technology back then. This is all performance <laughs> for his mother. I mean, this is all directed straight at her. And you it's know, not the way to talk just, to her. It's just not the way. It's clearly not working. So he's probably you know, tried a bunch of different things, and this maybe. is kind of what he's resorted to. I don't know. But, but you know, we, we don't we don't have the evidence here. This is not ordinary people where we see multiple <laughs> instances where he tries to talk to his mother and she has no interest, even if it's just mundane conversation, or he tries to give her a hug. We we don't see the various approaches because it's it's you know it's a comedy. It's it's supposed to have that sort of offbeat uh, mentality, and that's fine. It's uh, funny we're getting all hung up on the the. the 
relationship between Bud Court and Vivian Pickles, who <laughs> one of the greatest names, and, and actually, but uh, when we're really the movie, the reason why we're talking about it is because of his relationship with with, with Maud. Um, I forget what I was going to say. I was going somewhere. It was pretty good too, I think. <laughs> and, and that's that's the relationship I totally accept. I find that uh, completely charming and oh, engaging. Yeah. So back back to the movie as a whole, like Hal Ashby, he was just a hippie. I mean, he was a, a product of the time. I don't know what Hal Ashby is if he's you know comes around today. I don't know if he's accepted if he's you know thwarted. I don't know what he's doing. God knows. But Hal Ashby was a product of the time. Like he he hitchhiked. He literally hitchhiked out to California in his teens and just started working on movie sets. Worked on a bunch of uh, Weiler films. And, and kept getting promoted and then he finally got a chance to do uh, Neighbors I think was his first movie but he yeah. was a hippie at heart and he wanted to make this yeah at times and on paper it's definitely Harold Amott is super sanctimonious and you know mm-hmm. Cat Stevens is sanctimonious by, by nature but if you read about this the premise or if you read like the Wikipedia plot points I mean this does not work it's so hokey it's so awful mm-hmm. but the movie does work and I think it's a product of the time. I think if they made the exact same movie today with modern technology and, you know, it looked like a modern day movie set in modern times, I don't think it works. I think that it really works because of the time that it came from and because of Hal Ashby and the, the, the state of the, the country and, and what was going on. It's one of those rare gems that's kind of like a time capsule of, yeah, man, you know, free love is on the way, you know, number the age is just a number man and people are people man and all that shit and it worked for them and i and i can appreciate the movie on on that level and you completely buy in and go along for me i completely buy in and go along for the ride it's not something that i I mean i saw this movie when i was in my late teens so this had long passed since uh i saw it and i fully accepted the movie on its own terms and it was a time capsule film it is something that you look back at but you don't think like this is something that does need to be updated this is just this perfect little movie right that absolutely exists in its own little time like if, if i heard this was being remade i'd be furious i'd be so oh. pissed you know but then uh, and going and going into like the something you were saying before mike with uh sort of his character um and their relationship i think that what they're getting out of it is really um encapsulated by the ending of the film um that he gets over his morbid sort of of fantasies in the end to some degree where he does <laughs> let go of you know his hearse which is a fucking cool car so i mean granted he's a rich great boy shot. And that's not <laughs> yeah oh the great well, shot I, the, the great shot but I, I guess the camera failed and that's why you have the uh the, <laughs> the still shot there the freeze yeah. frame for a second before mm-hmm. it drops is they were doing it with two cameras and one of them failed on it and so they only had that as the backup shot and ah. that's why you have frame of it and interesting so, i thought that was just a shout out to true flow and foreign blows it's and you you if you look at the films of the time yeah you would you would think that and sort of all the people in the 70s that were so clearly influenced by the french new wave and just you would see so many uh, freeze frames during that time period in american film and it was an absolute accident and they just went with it and said okay we can start at this point freeze frame that looks you know sort of I guess in the film parlance of the time, you know, the language of that, that it worked and I, I, you wouldn't even notice that it did it. And that's part of the brilliance of Hal Ashby and that that ending so works and so makes that relationship that he did get something out of that, um, that he grew up and he's letting go of this, I think, morbid fantasy when he's walking away. He's picking up his banjo and walking off into the sunset. Yeah. How does that work? You know, on paper, that doesn't work. 
Like, it's just so goddamn hokey. He walks away playing the banjo, singing, uh, if you want to sing out, sing out. It's like, no, but it works. It, it somehow works. Does there need to be a sequel, like, uh, 60 years later, where he's 80, and it's called Harold and Bob, and he's he's now gay, and he's courting, like, a, uh, like a 16-year-old boy. And he now, he loves life, and he's teaching this young boy about that, and it's full circle. Well, sounds pretty good. You go into the 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 Marvel Cinematic Universe of it, and so you get the other the spinoff film is the mother's point of view, and so you get Mike's backstory. Oh, there you go, Mike. Poor tragic mom. Poor tragic mom with such a freak little son. Uh, Yeah, uh, yeah, you're. I I tend to still see that. Um, You know, I I only have hope that him skipping along with his banjo when his mom buys him a new car. That all. No, she's still going to be pissed, Mike. He's going to go home, and she's going to be like, "What the fuck is that banjo shit?" No, she won't even notice it. She won't even notice he's playing the banjo instead of Harry carrying himself. She'll be like, you know, go marry a rich girl and become a lawyer. That's that's her point of view, because she's the man. And he probably will. It's kind of, kind of a side question, Anderson. Do you think the film... Do you think not that it's a fair question, I guess, but do you think Harold and Maude works as well without the Cat Stevens music? No, 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 no. Cat Stevens music carries this film a lot throughout uh, much of it, I would say. Like, yeah, I, I, uh, maybe agree. Soderbergh will uh, take that uh, on, on task and like, you know make it with an all DMX uh, score or something to see what it sounds like. 